0: Across the Resonate Regional Radio Network.
1: It's my time,
2: it's my life. I hope you will
3: come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin.
2: Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It is the 14th of June. A very good morning to everybody. Australia through to the World Cup in soccer. They uh, beat Peru in a penalty goal shootout just earlier this morning, so well done to the Socceroos, and uh, I don't know how we're going to go in the World Cup, but we're through. Qatar, um, uh, geez, it's going to be a different place, but Australia through to the Soccer World Cup, and well done to Graham Arnold and uh, everybody involved in the Socceroos. Big shape for you this morning, the Ag Minister, Minister uh, Murray Watt will join us as well, this morning, I'm looking forward to catching up with him. We're going to catch up with Rural Aid CEO John Walters and also Shontay Moore and Vice President of the Capricornia School of Distance Education. Uh, we'll talk with uh, Criv Stenders. Uh, Brisbane born and bred writer, producer and director of The Boy from the Bush. Uh, the film festival will obviously be at the Outback Splendid um, and we'll talk to him as well. It's a big show for you. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB Kingroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charter Towers, and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. Murray Watt joins us next, the Minister for Agriculture. This is Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, uh, Tuesday morning, the 14th of June. It's uh, my great pleasure now to welcome the Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, uh, Senator Murray Watt, joining us for the first time on Rural Queensland Today. Uh, Murray, good morning. Firstly, uh, congratulations. Um, I mean, firstly, to win government is, is a great thing for the Labor Party and they need to be congratulated. The people of Australia spoke. and. And this is why we live in such a great country. But to be handed uh, a ministry for agriculture and fisheries and forestries, a terribly proud industry and one that I'm sure you'd be very honoured to represent.
1: Absolutely, Ben, and really great to join you here. I look forward to speaking uh, to you regularly and to your listeners. Um, Yeah, look, I'm incredibly honoured and excited to get to take on the role of agriculture minister in our country. Uh, As you say, it's just a vital industry, especially in our regions. Um, and I think to take it on at the moment, it's a very interesting time because the sector overall is doing pretty well. But as you know, um, it's still facing a lot of really big challenges. So I'm really looking forward to the opportunity of working with farmers, with farm workers and all their representatives about how we tackle those changes and take the industry even further forward
2: the biggest um, thing that unfortunately um, our industry and it's evolving and we're not we make no mistakes that it's had its challenges I'm going to get to that but I mean I was raised by a single mum in Sydney and went to boarding school and as an 18 year old went to the country and and then have cut my teeth in rural and regional Australia and you don't have to be born and bred off a cattle station to understand the industry the fact is that you know, your father was a dairy farmer, Um, Mm. it's in your DNA, though you didn't grow up on a cattle station, it still doesn't put you at a disadvantage of not understanding because you get this industry.
1: Yeah, I think so, Ben. I mean, I've sort of grown up, you know, with the stories of farming, as you say, both sides of my family um, grew up on farms. My dad was a dairy farmer uh, on the Serena Range outside Mackay and they ran cattle and then he was a cane cutter in the Mackay region as well. and Mum's side of the family did a lot of dairying at times on the Darling Downs as well, Um, and uh, farming goes back generations in our family, just as it does for so many families in Queensland, whether they still live in the country or the city. Uh, And I was thinking the other day, it's not only my family's experiences, but we would always have family friends coming in off the land down to Brisbane for hospital treatment or to visit their family, and you'd hear the stories about, you know, whether it was a good season or a bad season, whether there was drought or whether there was floods, and all the highs and lows of farming so yeah look i 've all i 've said i 'm not going to pretend to be a farmer i don 't think people like politicians who pretend to be something they 're not uh, I am a city boy, let's, let's face it, but I've, as I say, I've got lots of farming in my blood and, and that's, I think, what's given me a real interest and passion for both the agriculture industry but also for rural and regional Australia. Yep. Um. And in my role as a senator, you know, if you're a senator, you represent the whole state. It's the whole state that's your electorate. And uh, because of that, I've spent a lot of time in regional Queensland to be honest, probably more time in the regions than I do in Brisbane. Yep. Um. So, yeah, so that's that's again why I'm just really excited to take on this role because it's, you know, I said to my dad the other day, he's 81 going on 82, and I said, you know, I bet when you were milking those cows at the age of 14, you didn't expect your son to be the agriculture minister. So bloody <laughs> old world, isn't it? Yeah, no. He thought it was. He scratched his head, and you know, to be honest, I think he was just trying to work it all out himself. <laughs> but, um, but no, they're obviously very proud as as any parent is of their kids when they've you know done done something good, and you know, hopefully, I can really uh, honour them and all of my family history in the role.
2: Murray, obviously a lawyer in your previous life and and, and educated, and we talk about that, and, and then you transition. You had um, obviously within the state government with the Labor Party, and then obviously a senator at the federal level, and now the minister for agriculture, forestry, and I should also say emergency management as well. But if we if we can just focus on the agricultural sector, um, and and look, there's no sugarcoating. You know, Nationals and and the LNP have different views and outlooks, clearly to the Labor Party in the past traditionally, just around how mm-hmm. it looks. There is some big, big challenges, and and. I, I do want to step through them and, and and I understand that early in this role you've got to get your feet under the desk and obviously there's a lot of consultation and a lot of discussions got to have. but some of the big ones that it, it is around the work shortage in, in our workforce and yep. I understand and and work visas um, David Littleproud and the Coali- and the LMP and the National party they did a big job in trying to make it an easier pathway to get people here in Australia to work in agriculture. Where do you guys sit at this moment with the work visa situation?
1: Yeah, look, there's no doubt, Ben, that this is a huge problem, and it has been for a long time. Um, This isn't something that's just kind of come out out of nowhere. Uh, Farmers have been struggling to get workers uh, for a long time, and obviously it's been made more difficult through COVID, with backpackers not here and a lot of other overseas labour not being available like it has been. I think this is probably the top issue, I would say, that farmers, individual farmers and farm groups have raised with me since I've taken on the role. Um, Labor didn't support the former government's proposal around ag visas, mainly because, well, two things really. We we thought it was a lot of talk without any action. And, you know, David Littleprout, I get on with him on a, on a personal level, but he made a lot of big claims about how the ag visa was going to deliver lots of ag workers and it still hasn't delivered a single one. Yeah. So we sort of thought, you know, it was all talk and no action and and didn't really solve the problem. And of course, we also had some issues around the way the ag visa was designed and let's face it, there have been some pretty horrifying stories of exploitation of overseas workers on farms. That I'm not for a moment saying that that's the case everywhere. I think most farmers actually treat their workforce really well, but Unfortunately, the, the industry was getting a reputation like it or not around these issues and we really need to tackle them so that the industry can be proud and you know people want to come here from everywhere around the world and, and see that most farmers do treat their people well. So we in the end, as I say, they were the sort of reasons we had issues with the AG visa but we totally accept. Um, that the farm sector needs more workers and we've put forward a couple of things to do that. I mean, for starters, I think we should never give up on the idea that we get Australians working in in, fa- in farm industries. No doubt. I know that's never going to be enough, um, but that obviously should be our first priority. Um, and then what what we've put forward is actually expanding and strengthening the Pacific Labor Scheme, um, which you know many farmers I've spoken to and met with um, have really made good use of. Um, I've met Pacific uh, Island Laborers everywhere from mango farms in the Northern Territory through to the horticulture farms in Queensland. And people speak very highly of it. So we want to expand that. And one of the reasons for doing that, as I say, is we think it's a real solution. Yeah, there are over 50,000 Pacific Island workers who've been vetted and cleared to come and work here now. Um, So that's real if we can start getting them into the country compared to what David Littleproud and others were talking about, which just never delivered a single worker. Um, But beyond that, i 've already said to um, the NFF and other farm groups that i've met with already that you know if people have got other options um, to to deal with the workforce shortages that we 've got i 'm obviously happy to listen to them um, and you know i 'm not sure certain that Uh, bringing in Pacific Island labour is going to be enough on its own. I think it's a very good start, Um, but I'm I'm happy to sit down with farmers, with unions, with rural communities, whoever's got a view about these things, because it is a problem that we've got to tackle.
2: Minister for Agriculture Murray Watt joins us this morning. We're going to take a break, come back. Uh, The live export sheep industry is under the headlights. I want to talk to you, Senator, about that. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. The Minister for Agriculture Murray Watt joins us this morning. Minister, we understand we understand the commitment around the banning of uh, sheep live exports, uh, and that commitment that the government now has made. Um, I understand that that, and we've talked we've talked to um, the live export council. We've we've spoken to everybody. We've we, we've done market analysis on how this would affect the industry. You've come out and said this is not going to happen overnight. Um, this is obviously in consultation. You commit. You're committed to to obviously banning this trade, um, but you are going to look at everything and make sure that it's done in a smooth transition. Uh, that's the government's priority, and that's and that's their complete prerogative to do that. Can you actually understand, Murray, that there is some concern though because of what has happened in the past with the banning of the live export industry and? and what it did at that time um, to the industry, that people just revert back. And and this is clearly a different situation. There's no two ways about it. But there is still that, you know, lingering concern, well, the Labor government was a knee-jerk reaction off the back of um, some footage that they saw, which was horrific. Which, no two ways about it. It was absolutely horrific. But they are concerned that there could be that knee-jerk reaction again, which could completely at one stage, bring the industry to its knees again?
1: Yeah, look, I can understand why people would be nervous. And let's face it then, whenever a big change in an industry is being talked about, people do get nervous. Um, And and I suppose that's why we've been at pains to say uh, to people that this isn't something that we're going to do overnight and we want to do it in an orderly way, you know, in consultation with farmers, farm groups, uh, and other people who've got an interest in this. Um, we actually went to the previous federal election, um, 2019, yeah. uh, with a commitment to phase out live sheep exports within, I think it was five years from memory. Um, this time, we didn't set a time frame, And one of the reasons for doing that was because we recognised this is something that has to be done gradually um, and in partnership with people and you can't do it overnight. I mean, ironically, what I've sort of learned is that because we didn't set a time frame this time, I think some people have interpreted that to mean that we want to do it really quickly. Sure. Um, But but the Prime Minister has actually made really clear uh, in an interview that Albo did recently in WA that we won't be doing it over this term of office. Um, It's something that will take time. And, you know, I've got an open mind about how we do it, when we do it, and that's the sort of stuff that I'm keen to talk with farmers about. Um, and I'll be trying to get over to WA reasonably soon because that is the main state that this impacts on. And, and I've also been clear, I should say, that um, this absolutely has no implications for the live cattle trade at all. Um, I, I very well remember um, the problems that um, happened last time. There was a pretty instant live uh, cattle uh, ban, yep. uh, and um, you know I know that was damaging for farmers, and let's be honest, it didn't really help the Labor Party politically either. No. Um, so I think we've learned from that, and that's one of the things that we, we've been very clear that this doesn't apply to cattle. Uh, and also, also, we've been very clear that we um, want to do the sheep uh, phase out in an orderly way. I mean, the other thing worth mentioning, I think, Ben, is that one of the reasons for doing this, there's obviously the animal welfare issues. Sure. And, you know, people people are across that. But I also think there's a really big opportunity for us as a country to build up more onshore meat processing. Um, you know, one of the things that Labor committed to in the run up to the election was that we want to make things, make more things here, and rebuild our manufacturing sector. Um, and we don't just mean making you know cars or making machinery or making batteries, we also mean more meat processing. So I'm I, I, as as it's been explained to me, I think there is some real potential to to expand onshore uh, meat processing when it comes to sheep. Uh, and that's one of the things that I'm keen to explore because if we can, you know we're all about value adding and if we can be, you know, creating more jobs in Australia out of the processing, then that's a good thing for regional economies. So as I say, I think, you know, these are the sort of things we've got to work through with the industry um, as we work out exactly how this is going to happen and over what time frame.
2: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. Can I just talk to you? And we're we're honoured to have the Ag Minister Murray Watt joining us this morning on Rural Queensland today. We want to build the regions. Now, I understand water is not in your in in your ministry and and but we need to obviously get more water, grow the regions. You know, not everybody can live in in, in the southeast corner of Queensland and, and on, along the eastern seaboard.s We need to obviously grow the regions. It, more jobs, it creates everything. But the big thing is about is protecting our prime agricultural land. Coal seam gas, mm. is, they, they has, we have to do it. There, there's no two ways about it. They have to work in unison. And mm. for the last I'd say 10 to 15 years, it's it seems, and if you talk to them, that it doesn't matter where you are, if, you, if you've if you got coal, um, gas underneath, you're going to actually have someone drill on it. How do we get to the point, and as the Ag Minister, you understand the importance of just preserving our, you know, we're environmentalists at, for, at the four months. We understand what we have to do. But the juggling act of protecting prime agricultural land in this state and this country versus we have to have coal seam gas. There's no two ways about it. But- Trying to get that balance right.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one, Ben, isn't it? Um, because you're right. We sort of do need both. We obviously want our prime agricultural land to keep uh, producing the incredible, you know, produce that we all depend on to eat, and let alone the exports that it generates. But even what we're going through as a country now with the energy crisis shows you that we do need gas. Um, yep. And um, unfortunately, for farmers, very often uh, the gas is below their farmland. So. Yep. Um, this is going to sound a bit glib, but I think it does come down to, as you sort of say, working in unison and, and trying to coexist as industries. And, you know, I, I know I was I was in the Queensland government when the gas industry first kicked off here. And looking back on it, I think that the regulations that were in place at the time weren't strong enough um, to protect uh, landholders um, and give them some rights and some bargaining power when it came to dealing with gas companies. No doubt. So no. I think over. Yeah. yeah, I think over time, those regulations have improved and it's a bit more of a level playing field now. But, you know, probably we can always look at these things and see if they can be improved further. Um, but, you know, I think in the end, whenever I've spoken to farmers about these things, what it comes down to is that people want to be treated with respect. Um, they don't want to have people stomping all over their land, doing whatever they want to do without consulting them. And I think as long as we can sort of put in place a system where, that sort of respect is guaranteed and that people do have to be consulted and they have to be compensated if there's an impact on them. That's probably about the best way through it. Um, But again, look, it's something I'm more than happy to talk with um, both farmers and the gas industry about to see if we can make it work even better for everyone.
2: Yeah, you can also talk to ARTC as well um, around this inland rail. That's That's another whole... Can of worms that we probably don't it need is. to get into today, but no, I mean, <laughs> the, if we <laughs> maybe for a future chat. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Murray, quickly, mate, uh, are you a forex man or a Great Northern man when it comes to having a beer?
1: Look, I'm probably more of a Forex man, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it probably makes me a Southeast Queenslander, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> well, they drink
2: it um, everywhere. It is. It's is, certainly,
1: uh, certainly not a VB man, so at least it's a Queensland <laughs> brew anyway. I look,
2: I look forward to catching up with you. And I know a lot of people in regional Queensland, um, uh, uh, obviously, clearly, uh, you know, and I say this with the deepest respect, when there's a change of government, Always brings uncertainty, Um, and 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 look, um, early on you've given a reassurance and a commitment that you are going to represent obviously the ag industry and that's your front and foremost priority. Uh, People, you obviously in time it just can't you can't click your fingers and get around the state and and this country uh, and there's obviously a lot going on in Canberra as well. But over time, over the next twelve to eighteen months, no doubt that you'll catch up with the majority of people in rural and regional Queensland and throughout these towns and be present. And, obviously, when things come up, you'll be part of this show, very much so, and, and involved and, and and more than willing to talk. So we appreciate your time this morning.
1: Good on you, Ben. Look forward to it, mate. I was on a farm in Emerald last week. A I heard farm, that. And I did hear I that. I expect they will be uh, doing something uh – Agriculture-related in Central Queensland when the cabinet meets in Gladstone uh, tomorrow. It's a big thing. Uh, so, big yeah, thing. I'll be getting out about and and every everywhere I go, every place I go, I will learn something. So I'm looking forward to learning even more from all of your listeners in the months and years ahead.
2: I actually think that's a real benefit because you actually go um, with an open mind, and I, and I say totally. that with the deepest respect. I, I mean, when you you're born and bred, and you only know one way. Well, then it's very hard to sway. But when you go there with a clear mind, you can look at all of it, and then you can come up with a a, a, a true, and obviously you've got party policy as well, but you can get to have a look at it and then you can see it from both sides. So I think that's a real, a, a really great benefit as well. Uh, Minister for Agriculture, Murray Watt, appreciate your time this morning on Rural Queensland. No Day. worries, Ben. Thanks, mate. Good to talk to you. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Vision Splendid Film Fest uh, will be taking place from June 24 to July 2nd. We talk about this and we love what happens at the Outback Film Festival in Winton and just what a phenomenal, phenomenal place it is. Well, there's a world premiere that will take centre stage at Winton in the Outback Queensland Vision Splendid Film Festival on Friday, the 24th of June. Boy from the Bush is a performance-based documentary starring iconic singer-songwriter Lee Kernighan. The Brisbane-born and bred writer, producer and director of Boy from the Bush is Kriv Stenders and he joins us this morning. Criv, good morning. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. How are you? All right. Did you ever think that you'd be premiering a world premiere (laughs) film with Lee Kernighan at the Outback Splendid Film Festival? Like you could be pinching yourself, wouldn't you, mate?
3: Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. We actually shot over there, uh, well, out there, uh, about a, over a year ago. And I remember being there shooting, going, "Wow, it would be great to premiere the film here." And uh, yeah, as it turns out, that's uh, that's what happened. So I'm, I'm very chuffed.
2: So how does how does one come to being uh, the director? And, and like, can you talk about your background and and how you wrote this? Um, I suppose documentary. And then went from okay, this is a brainchild of mine, to getting Lee Kernaghan to star in it, and then obviously to being at a world premiere on Friday the twenty fourth of June.
3: Well, my background, I'm a I'm a film director, so sure. I've made films. Um, yeah, you know, made a film you might have heard of called Red Dog. Yeah, um,
2: <laughs> yeah we all know. Two years Red Dog. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> fairly successful. Um,
3: and and I've I've also made a number of uh, music documentaries. Uh, the last one I made was. Um, about Slim Dusty and Joy McKean, a film called Slim and I. Sure. Um, and I uh, did a TV series um, recently with Justin Clark called Going Country. So I've been sort of making some music-themed documentaries now for a couple of years. And my producer, Chris Brown, actually approached me about two years ago about the idea of doing a Lee Kernighan documentary. And I was intrigued, and we went to his management and spoke to him about the idea of doing it. And I pitched this idea of rather than just doing a straight biopic documentary, you know, Lee's songs are so iconic, so much part of our, I guess, our <clears throat> our culture and our, and, our, and our sort of fabric or identity. And I thought it'd be great to do a film that was both a performance film, like a concert film, but that also told the stories behind the songs because... Lee's music speaks to rural rural Australia in a way I don't think um, many other musicians or songs do. So it was a real chance to sort of, you know, have Lee sing his songs and tell his
2: stories. I've got to ask you, Crib. I mean, you, you, as a film producer and, 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 and having the success you've had, you would have dealt with some high-maintenance actors and, and, and people. Like, it just goes with the industry at different times, but I would have thought – uh, and knowing Lee, and, and having a bit to do with him, that this would have been actually a pleasure to deal with him <laughs> in different stages, because <laughs> he's a very, very chilled out, relaxed human being.
3: Yeah, well, you know, he's um, it, look, yeah, it was, it was, it was. I mean, it wasn't, it was wasn't sort of um, uh, all smooth sailing because I think that for Lee, you know, he was very, you know, he's He's got such a, a a strong idea of what of what his music is and who his audience is. Sure. And, you know, I had to sort of take his hand a little bit. We were going into some, you know, the, the form of the film, the idea of the film of it being these sort of spoken word, little interstitials in between the songs was sort of something that, you know, I think he needed to kind of uh, have some guidance with. But ultimately, you know, the great thing is is that he pulled, pulled together an amazing concert for us. Um, and everywhere we went, you know, just the love for him is just, um, you know, it's undeniable. And the film really does look at his at his relationship with, um, with 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 Australia, with Australians, and it does cover the amazing kind of contribution he's 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 um, he's, he's played. To uh, you know, rural communities all around Australia. You know, with his past the hat tours and his his um, his amazing yeah. sort of fundraising work. It,
2: it, there's obviously so much that goes into one of these um, documentaries, and 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 as you said, it you, you you did it a year ago, then you cut it and you get it right. It it world, the world premiere is at, at Vision Splendid um, in Winton on the 24th. From there, uh, obviously. It, it goes global and viral and people will obviously, not everybody can be in Winton then. But you obviously would have shown it to Lee. What was his take on it um, a, a prior? How did he respond to it once he saw it?
3: Uh, well, I think I think he really, um, you know, I, 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 I understand he's given it his thumbs up, which is great. Yep. Um, you know, and, you know, the film will be released now um, theatrically. Uh, in a, in, uh, we can't, I haven't got an exact date, but it'll be in the next month or two. So it'll, it'll be seen around Australia at least. Wow. And, um, you know, so it'll get a theatrical release because it really has been made for, uh, for the cinema. You know, the sound mix is incredible. Um, you really do feel like you're in a Lee, Con- Lee Kernighan concert. You know, it really puts you inside the audience. Uh, so it's a very immersive, very, um, very, uh, interactive kind of experience. So, yeah, so, you know, and I think, you know, what I'm really happy about is that, you know, what I'm really proud about is it's Lee's 30th year in the industry. And uh, I think the film is a really perfect um, celebration of that uh, achievement. And the film really encapsulates who he is, what his music is, what his career, uh, the legacy of his career, and, and, and the love his audience have for him.
2: Hey, Griff, I've got to ask this. And we are just talking earlier to the new agricultural minister, Murray Watt, and he's born and bred out of Brisbane, right, and, and, he, and he undeniably, and and, I mean, and there's no shame or anything like that. I think it's great that he's the ag minister because he comes with an open mind. How did you get into being so passionate? And a lot of your films are related to Outback Australia, your, your documentaries around, you know, country music singers, um, you know, you're obviously in that world, but you're a, obviously a, a producer and a writer and a director, and why did and how did you get down that road of, of, of that country theme as such?
3: Well, I guess, you know, I'm a storyteller and um, you go where the stories are. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same with country yeah, sure. music. You know, country music tells stories. And I think that's what I love about country music is that it's it's, it's a storytelling art form and so it's film, you know. And uh, I love this country. You know, I love Australian films. You know, I grew up on films like um, Gallipoli and uh, Mad Max. Iconic. And, um yeah, iconic. me Hanging Rock. So those films all looked at, I think, you know, Australian history, um, and a lot of it happens out in the outback. So it's sort of a natural place to go. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'll, you know, all my films is sort of are about Australia in some, in some shape or form, and half my family. You know, my 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 brother-in-law is a, you know, a cattle farmer, and my sister, you know, lives on a farm. So you know, I. I and i 'm from Queensland, so yeah. even though i 'm from the city, no. um, the country has always been very very close so right. it's sort of, um, it's, uh, it's
2: sort of familiar territory for me yeah i can 't wait to see this. I love Lee Kernigan and I know a lot of the people listening to us throughout rural and regional Queensland today just how iconic he is and the fact is that this is taking place at the Winton Outback Queensland Vision Splendid Film Festival. the world premiere will take center stage. It's an honour, Kriv, to have you on Rural Queensland today. Thank you so much for joining us, and I cannot wait to see this uh, documentary. Uh, the great Lee Kernigan. I, I cannot wait to see it. Boy from the Bush is what it's called, and once it obviously premieres Friday, June the 24th, there will be uh, a way and availability for people to obviously watch this in their cinemas or wherever. We appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us, mate. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Good on you. Kriv Stenders, Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Vice President of the Capricornia School of Distance Education, PNC, is Shantae Moran. She joins us this morning. How are you, mate?
0: Oh, I am going really well, thanks, Ben, and good morning <laughs> to everybody, uh, to all of your listeners. A little bit frosty. I'm not good with this cold business, but um, but we're, we're, we're powering through.
2: Now, yesterday we spoke with Louise Martin um, about... Minister Grace, Grace uh coming to, obviously, uh, the ICPA conference last week in Blackhall and she made plenty of um, – Louise yesterday said that the minister came and made plenty of announcements and everybody was cheering and thankful that the government had acknowledged and was going to make a change. Well, the devil's in the detail. Yesterday you had a meeting with the department and everything that they actually said they're refusing to put in writing, which suspects to me that – although they make these big and sweeping statements, why, if if it, if it isn't going to happen, you know, just come out and say it because if they make these statements, put it in writing, get it confirmed, get a timeline, and we can all move forward.
0: Well, you've, sort of, you've hit the nail on the head there really, really um, Ben. I mean, as far as the infrastructure goes, we had a really productive meeting yesterday. Um, team um, involved in getting our outstation um back on track and up to scratch. They are working really hard and I have nothing but good things to say about the dedication and uh, their, their genuine desire to make sure that the outstation is up and um, safe for everyone to use um, by the end of the year, which is fantastic news and we're very grateful to those guys for the effort that they're going through um, in that regard. So that's as far as the, the team leader, the architect and um the gentleman from the department that's sort of overseeing it all, which has been it's been fantastic. They've been really lovely people to deal with. Um, but as far as the department goes, where they're really dragging their feet around, putting in writing a long-term agreement that those buildings will be available for families to camp in during mini-schools and other school events and that there will be... Um, that they won't be used for something else in the interim I mean what we were looking at yesterday was really good news they have just have um, done their calculations and we'll be able to if we put bunk beds into the outstation will and the and the shed will be able to actually fit a hundred people in there um, which is incredible we've never actually had that many people in there before I don't think so that will well and truly cover our needs but everything that can be built can be unbuilt um, and we, we genuinely, after the last two and a half years of um, trying to negotiate and work through the issues um, that just kept coming up and up and up that ultimately haven't been issues, we need it in writing. We need we need a solid confirmation, a long-term agreement um, that that this will never happen again to our kids' kids and their kids' it, kids that these facilities are yeah. secure for as long as they're needed.
2: Well, it was a three-year fight pretty much, Um, and, I mean, when people are trying to run businesses, when people are trying to battle drought, when people are trying to battle, you know, absolutely unbelievable situations in agriculture, and yet they're having to then take on a whole other challenge, which is fighting the government over a facility that they actually owned, was actually owned by um, by your community and and by the distance education and, and by the PNC, it is just begs to believe that I know they backflipped on it, and we, we are thankful that they've done that. But let's let's not sugarcoat it. They actually need to put it in writing because you guys can't go through this, or the next generation can't go through this again. I mean, I understand that there's some OHS issues which you guys were more than happy to fix and get right. Um, I understand that there was safety concerns, and you guys said, "Right, we'll, we'll fix them." But um, for the 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 time frame, the paperwork, the rigmarole that went on around it, the rhetoric from the government saying we're we're looking at it, and in all that time, the kids have got to still be educated, and that's the thing that they don't put a value on. Just the damage it did to the kids at that time, and and then and the families who are having to uh, rent in hotels in in Emerald and, and all other situations, they have to put this in writing. And was that relayed to them that they have to do that, or was it dead set pushback? buy them?
0: No, well they've um, uh, Peter Goffel, the fellow the, the from Infrastructure Services who we've been working with, he has been doing an amazing job. He's put together a memorandum of understanding that we are working towards. It isn't a legal document. Um, it can it if you, you know, it will not stand up in court. Um, the hire agreements which which we will enter have to enter into with the school um, to hire the facilities they have a new clause in them, which says that, the, that they cannot go past the 12-month period. Maybe that's something that the department can look at at, at amending those for the schools of distance education with, with on-site accommodation, family family accommodation. Um, maybe that's something that they can look at working with. Um, we've just sent another email back to the team, through the department, to say and, and we, we voiced, we were very firm with it yesterday in our meeting, that we need something, um, something more rigid, something that um, cannot be influenced by sudden changes of policy, as we've sort of seen over the holidays. That that means that, like you say, that we don't have to. Yeah, we we. This is a love job for us. We we're doing it for all the right reasons. We're doing it for the kids. That's that's what we're here for. And those kids, you know, deserve that certainty that they're going to have access to those facilities for the reason that they were built and they were built. By the PNC, um, and um, and I should send a little uh, a thank you to um, CPA too for hosting out there at, at Blackall, and for the excellent job that they did, and for the for the input that they've had in this in this um, fight. I suppose is the right word for it, negotiation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in writing is going to be. I mean, we can't settle for anything less. for two and a half. Like you say, the three years that we've put into this. We're it's just, it's, it's a, it's non-negotiable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Look, it, it, it's something that is a constant battle. Um, we might actually try and get to somebody in the department over the next couple of days. All in all, it was a positive meeting. Just this one sticking point though.
0: Yes. Oh, and you know, and, and, um, and Peter's trying really hard to manipulate the document so that it achieves something for everybody, but ultimately it is, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, and it's it's something that if we, if it's right we will be we will be um, content with in what it is, what it is it is what it is sorry was what I'm trying to say there yeah. a long term hire agreement that would be ideal um, because that's actually a binding document um, that would be fantastic um, with the special conditions in it that we need. Specifically for those facilities, and I think that would be something that would best benefit all um, schools of distance education with these on-site facilities. Um, you know, just to make sure that if there is a policy change or if there is, you know, a building code change, that things just don't get shut down again. That there's a, a facility worked into those agreements that means that, you know, that these things will be fixed. It won't just be a blatant shutdown or, yeah, just. To make sure it's it's fluid and that it that it moves with these things. Policies change, building codes change. That's fine. That's that's the nature of the things. Um, but what doesn't change is the need for these kids to be able to access face to face learning. It's I mean it's it's critical, um, and and that's that is that is worth putting in writing and securing for the long term.
2: Yeah, well said. Appreciate your time. We've got to get to the bottom of it. You do a phenomenal job. Shante Moran, uh, Vice President of the Capricorn School of Education, Distance Education, PNC, Uh, and obviously they're holding the government to account, making sure that everything is in writing so we don't go through these times again. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us.
0: Thanks very much for for having me and thank you so much for your support.
2: Good on you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a great day, Queensland. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll catch you tomorrow. Ray Hadley joins you next. Till next time, it's bye for now.